the mighty power of God amongst many others. And so he wrote the original words in around sometime 1719-ish and published them, and there were different melodies and things that came out. Um, but later, uh, a few years later, uh, George Frederick Handel wrote The Messiah. And so that's a very famous, well-known piece of uh, music uh, that has uh, orchestration and choirs and things. It's quite a, a wonderful piece that's listened to world round at Christmas time. But then uh, in seven, uh, sorry, in, um, I don't even have the date down here, in the 1800s, uh, an American music educator took and lifted pieces from Handel's Messiah and took the German words and adapted all of this into one cohesive piece that we know now as Joy to the World. So there's other versions of the words, there's other versions of the music, but the one that we sang today is the most well-known and the most popular. What might surprise you is that this song has nothing really originally to do with Christmas or Jesus' advent at all. It's taken from Psalm 98. It doesn't mention shepherds, angels, wise men, Mary, Joseph, Bethlehem, you know, any of these things. But it captures themes more along the lines of waiting since Jesus' arrival for his return. And so I think the reason that we are caught up in it, the reason why it's one of the most popular, one of the most well-known Christmas carols, even though it's not specifically about the Christmas narrative, is it gives us that that hope and that joy. Some of the lyrics are, the Lord is come, the Savior reigns, sin's curse is broken, he rules with truth, truth and grace. And so these themes uh, speak to something deep in our hearts that, that actually matter to us, especially in the Christmas season. So we not only find joy in Jesus' original arrival, but we find joy as we believe in him, as we walk with him, and as we wait for him to return in his second advent, in his coming again. And so, as I thought about joy as a theme this morning, there's this term in the Bible that has always confused me. And so I thought this Christmas, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of it. And so uh, this morning, I want to bring you into a little bit of my journey to understand this phrase. Now, it's used by different people throughout the Bible. And it's used a little bit differently each time, but it has the same meaning. Something like, make my joy complete, or my joy is made complete. So whenever I read something I don't understand, I ask questions. I hope you ask questions too. It's, it's good to go to the Bible with questions and seek good answers from others, from sermons, from uh, commentaries and study Bibles and others. And so my questions are uh, two of them, really. What is joy? I like to know the meaning of things and why, if we're to have joy, like what is meant by joy? Not what I mean by joy, but what are the biblical authors? What is God speaking through these people that I can understand as joy? And secondly, what is meant by making my joy complete? What on earth could that possibly mean? And so I'm going to help us walk through not every scripture, but a few scriptures that are key to helping us understand how this is used and what it might possibly mean for us. So don't worry if you're thinking, boy, this will be a fun ride through uh, New Testament, you know, digging deep and, and won't have any uh, meaning. The, the purpose of me doing this and the reason why I want to do it and the reason why I want to bring you into this is so that it would have some meaning. Uh, we're encouraged to have joy. 
We sing joy to the world. We see joy on cards. Joy is a part of Christmas. But what does that mean for me and for you? So Paul uses this term in Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and then in verse 2, here it is, complete my joy or make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So it seems like Paul's joy is made complete. So make my joy complete or complete my joy as the Philippian church obeys or, or lives this out. So Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles or disciples. Uh, he was an apostle in the sense that Jesus called him after being a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, who persecuted the early church and these new people of the way, or sometimes they're called Christians, and we know those terms. And so while he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus met him in a vision, transformed his life, and he became one of the first missionaries to go from Jerusalem and Antioch, and the church sent him out, and he went all over the place and planted churches, often staying with them for a time. And so he writes some of these churches that he had planted or had some part in planting, and he writes these Philippians, and part of completing his joy is saying, look, have this same kind of love, the same thing that I've taught you to do, the same thing that we see in Jesus. So if you have any encouragement, if you have any comfort from your relationship with him, he's wanting to see them actually live out this faith that they profess that they have. So in some strange way, Paul's joy is made complete as he sees those he's discipling, mentoring, pouring into, actually follow Jesus in practical and tangible ways. That's interesting to me. John the Baptist uses this. Now, John the Baptist, we first encounter in the Christmas narrative where uh, his mother and father, older people, uh, God blesses miraculously. So John is born miraculously, not like Jesus, who is virgin birth to Mary, uh, but to Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are old and have no children, and, and they, they ask God for a child, and God blesses them in their old age with a child, and this child will be one who is prophesied about, not the Messiah, but the one who will prepare the way for Jesus. And so when we meet John the Baptist, after we meet his parents in the Christmas narrative, he's baptizing people and preaching in the wilderness to call people to the realization that the Messiah is on the way. In fact, he's already here. And he prepares their hearts by baptizing them. And then Jesus comes and has a new baptism. It has a new way. And here in John 3, so this is after Jesus has met with Nicodemus, if you know the narrative, and he says, John 3.16, and he says, you know, um, here's how you become born again. And then the, the narrative switches. John switches the narrative back to look at John the Baptist, who's commenting on his relationship with Jesus and who this Jesus is. And in verse 29, John the Baptist says this of John 3. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So this imagery of bride and groom stretches throughout Scripture. It begins in Genesis. And 
we find at the very end of Revelation where Jesus the groom is united with his bride, the church, and forever they are one. It's, it's this theme. And so already John the Baptist is using this theme to help the people around him understand his place. And so he's saying there is a groom. Jesus, who is coming for his bride, the church, those who will choose to follow him. And I'm the friend, I'm the best man on the side, and I rejoice at the bridegroom's voice. I'm rejoicing hearing the groom speak of these things of the bride, wooing the bride, united to the bride. So that's what a, a best man, a wingman is supposed to do. And John is saying, I'm that best man. I, my joy is complete because the Messiah is here. He's calling for his bride, and I couldn't be happier. In fact, elsewhere, John had disciples too. So the word disciple isn't new to Jesus. It just means someone who's following the teachings and practice of a teacher, a rabbi, someone else. And John the Baptist has disciples, and he's training them, and he's teaching them. And Jesus is baptizing some people, and his disciples are baptizing, and John's baptizing, and his, John's disciples come and say, hey, hey. Jesus is taking our people away, like they're cutting into our business here, John. Aren't you upset? And John says, no, 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 no. This is, this is the way it should be. In fact, just after verse 29, he says this really key statement. He says, I must decrease, he must increase. You know, I'm about Jesus. And so John is saying his joy is made complete as he sees the Messiah come to rescue people. And as people begin to see Jesus as their Messiah, as the promised sacrificial lamb. His joy is made complete in hearing the groom speak in seeing that Jesus is coming and he's teaching and calling people. John's joy is made complete. So with both Paul and John, we see that our joy can be made complete in the lives of others as we watch God work in the lives of others. And then the Apostle John, who writes the book of John, writes the letters, the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also God speaks through to write the book of Revelation, John being one of the 12 apostles. In fact, John was likely the best friend of Jesus. John writes the book of John, but he never talks about himself in the book. He just says the disciple who Jesus loves. That isn't like <laughs> the statement that's putting him up and above others. It's actually his humble thing. He didn't even want to mention who he was and how close he was to Jesus. And in 1st and 2nd John, he uses these terms. 1st John 1, 4, he says this. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So John is saying, I'm writing this letter to you. And by this point, John is an, an older man. He's become this tender-hearted elder over, over the church who teaches people. The way I envision him is kind of under a tree, sitting on a rock with people gathered around him, and he's just gently, just the, the kindest old man who, who, he was in, you know, the Gospels known as one of the sons of thunder. Him and his brother James, they're always out for something, and Jesus is settling down, and they're like, you know, our mom really wants you to make us right and left at your kingdom, and Jesus is, you're missing the point, John. But by this point in his life, Jesus has so worked in him. He's just this, this wise, tender-hearted one, and he says this. And we're writing, the reason I'm writing these things is so that our joy, the, the people writing this, our joy will be complete. Because we want you to follow Jesus 
in the way I followed him. I want to see him do in your life what he's done in mine. And as I do, I'm writing these things so that you might understand how to follow Jesus and my joy will be complete as you do. He writes something similar but even more personal in 2 John 12. Though I have much to write to you, so again he's saying, man, i got lots to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy, me and the others who I'm leading with and teaching with, so that our joy may be complete. As good as it is to write a letter and that can be sent everywhere and lots of people can read it and find out more about Jesus, I'd rather come speak with you, spend time with you, help disciple you, mentor you, watch you come to faith, and begin to live in Jesus the way he intends. That would make my joy complete. So we've got this picture that for joy to be complete, it doesn't have to be everything we experience. It's actually a result of watching God work in the lives of others through what he's doing in us. Now, there are uh, lots of references. In fact, 59 times... In the, in the New Testament, uh, th- this term, make my joy complete, is used. Do you want to read them all? I didn't think so. Okay. Just trust me. It's used 59 times. Each time, or at least all of the, the main times, and especially the verses I've just read, they use the same words, this joy and complete, the same Greek word. Now, the Greek language has a lot of words at its disposal. And so John and Paul could have used other words. But they chose to use these same words for joy and complete. So I think it's important that we look at those words. So not only are the same words used throughout the New Testament about make my joy complete, these same two words, it's the same theme. Joy comes from being with Jesus. It comes from following and obeying Jesus. And it comes as we see others follow Jesus under our influence or example or as a result of our life. So let's look at these these words really quickly. So the word joy is the Greek word kara, and it sounds almost like the word for grace, which is charis. So kara is the word that is used for joy. Um, So I'm not going to read you all of this, but the, the basic understanding is that of joy, delight, gladness, happiness. But that's just scratching the surface of what this word kara, this word joy, means. Often it's connected to salvation. When it's used, even elsewhere, not connected to this make my joy complete, because the word joy is used all over the place. But it's often used of salvation. Both initially, so people when they discover salvation, discover they can be saved in Jesus Christ, and figure out what all that means as it's unfolded from others to them. And as God implants it in hearts, we read this term joy. People have joy. And it's specifically as they realize not only what God is doing in their life now, but what that means for eternity. There's this link between joy and future hope and Jesus' return and the abundant life that we experience now and the eternal life that we experience starting at the moment of belief carrying on forever. So this word joy is tied to that. It's in believing, it's in following, it's in our our hope of Jesus' return and our eternity 
with him. It's also used of God's presence in us. So frequently when people are talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God's work, this word joy is used. We find it used frequently in reference to a response or a reaction to God's work in our life through the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. This same joy as God works in us is the thing that remains. So another place we find joy mentioned frequently is when people in the New Testament are writing either personal accounts or of others who are going through trials and hardships, difficulties and persecution. And that this joy that they experience from Jesus and salvation, this joy they experience from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life to change them and make them new, sticks with them through hardship, trial, persecution, and difficulty. So it's not this thing that's tied to a good circumstance. That's happiness. So happiness is, I wanted this thing, I opened the present, I got this thing, I'm happy. But that doesn't last for very long once the thing breaks. And I can't even share how many stories. You probably have them, right? Christmas morning, Christmas day, the gift, and by the next day, it's broken. And so you're Googling and figuring out and getting out the, the mini screwdriver that you never quite have the right size to get the thing and do the thing. This joy, it's not like that. Why? Because although it can come as a response to a circumstance, to something that happens, it's actually connected to Jesus, who is eternal and lasting. So this joy that stays with us through hardship and persecution and trial and difficulty, this joy we experience from God's work, this joy we experience through salvation, it sticks with us because it's not tied to a good or a bad circumstance. It's not just happiness. It has an eternal root in Jesus. And regardless of what we go through, we can experience joy because our root and our core is in Jesus. In fact, the New Testament says that he can turn our sorrow into joy. It's what he does in some spiritual way, in some way he has the power in our lives to be able to do that. Joy is quite a powerful thing. Joy is an amazing thing. And the deepest joy we can experience in life is found in and rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's get to this word complete. So lots more we'll say about joy. It's really complex. It's wonderfully deep. But this word complete is really simple to understand. It means com complete. Good job. The word complete means complete. Okay? So some of the ways that uh, illustrations of this is to, you know, this fullness. So, so picture a cup and you stuff it as full as you can. You can't get it any more full. In fact, it's full to overflowing. That's what this word for complete, this word pleuro, it's used of that. And it's used, as I said, in this, in this phrase, make my joy complete. It's always kara. It's always pleuro. So there's something about this, this joy that I just spoke about and this pleuro, this, this filling to the full and you can't be full anymore and it's filled to overflowing. So uh, my family uh, goes for different special occasions to both sides. So we go to my parents and we go to Stephanie's parents. And on one particular occasion at Stephanie's parents, we had our main meal and we had our dessert and we had coffee afterwards. And have you ever gone to science class and had that illustration of how to fill up a jar? 
And so you're given rocks, gravel, sand, and water. And if you start with the water and then try and pour the sand and then try the gravel and try the rocks, you won't fit it in because it's, it's, it's full, but it's not full. But if you start with the rocks and then put the gravel in and shake it, the gravel goes in the, in the gaps. And if then you put the sand in and shake it, the sand goes in the rest of the gaps, and then the water fills up the rest of that, then it's as full as you possibly can get it with those four items. That was me at this particular dinner. I had had my main course, and I had had my dessert, and the coffee filled up all the blank spaces. And it was at that point that Stephanie's dad got out the blender. Now, he'd never done this before. And he said, who wants a smoothie? And we thought, what, what are you talking about Want a smoothie? There is no way I can have a smoothie. Until, until, my brother-in-law said, I challenge you. Game on, pal. Here we go. So, Stephanie's dad made a couple smoothies, good-sized ones. And so I, I'm, I'm like a good 15 years older than him, and I'm not going to be shown up by this little punk. And, and uh, so, so we each got our smoothies. And I finished it. Absolutely. And as I dragged myself to the living room to recover, I will never forget the feeling. I will try and be as polite as possible. All right? I have never felt food in my throat to hear. <laughs> there is not a bit more room, and it took all my willpower that afternoon laying green on the couch to keep it there and not there. Okay? Thankfully, I had the willpower because, again, I wasn't about to lose. I wasn't about, I, I have the willpower uh, to, to make sure that uh, we laugh about that now and we have never had a smoothie uh, after dinner ever again. It, it was unbelievable. I can't even express it. I've never been so full. It's terrible. I shouldn't have done it. Pluro. That's plural. You are full to the point of exploding. <laughs> and in fact, plural means to overflow as well. John, I think, got his words for make my joy complete actually from Jesus. So I think it's a common term in the New Testament because I think it's something that Jesus likely taught often. But we know there's at least one place he mentions it. And it's in John 15. And he says this. I'll, I'll read a couple different versions as we look at this, but we'll start in the ESV. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So in Jesus, we get, we get the behind-the-scenes look at our joy being full. So if we are filled with the joy of Jesus as we come to salvation as him, as we realize what that means for abundant life now and eternal life when he returns and if that joy is filled up as we see God working regularly through his spirit, one of the fruits, the results of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is joy. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. And so we also have joy as we live for him and see others come to faith in him through our life. and see. So that's our side of it. Jesus is saying his side. He is doing these things 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. This is how I fill you with my joy and that your joy may be full. Now, what's the context here? He's talking about abiding and remaining in him. It is his illustration of the vine and the branches. And so Jesus says, if you remain or abide in me, I'll remain in you. I am the vine. You're the branches coming off the vine. And when you stay connected to me, I will bear fruit out of you. To use the filling illustration, I am the filler and I will fill you. And as you stay in me and stay full of me, I will overflow you. I'll bring fruit from you. I'll overflow you. And so Jesus says this in the NLT, says it, uh, the translators translate it this way. I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So there seems to be two parts to this, this joy. There's the filling and there's, there's the overflowing. So there's the filling and there's the overflowing. Jesus is the source of our joy. He's the source of our joy, and it's in him and being close to him, remaining in him, abiding in him, having him work fruit and work out of our lives that we're filled with this joy. So I summarized all of what we've read like this. Joy is an emotional response to salvation, a reaction to God's work in our life, a gift in times of trouble, and a result of walking closely with and obeying Jesus. Joy, biblically, is an emotional response to salvation. It's also a reaction to God's work in our life through the Holy Spirit. It's a gift in times of trouble, and it's a result of walking closely with and obeying Jesus. That's the being filled part. That's the thing that we can experience. That tends to be the thing that we focus on at Christmas time. Right? This joy that I can experience and be filled with and know it's about me and what God is doing in me and the feelings I have and what's going on inside me. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if you don't get filled with the joy of Jesus, you can't overflow the joy of Jesus. What you're filled with, you'll overflow onto all the other people around you especially at Christmas dinners and things when maybe emotions are a little higher and you have opportunity to, to be a blessing or a bother. So that's the first part, being filled. But the second part Jesus talks about is overflowing, overflowing to others. The joy we experience with and are filled with has a purpose to overflow into the lives of others. Because what Jesus intends for us is that his followers would become conduits or vehicles or the means by which his joy goes to others. So without his church and without his people, we can talk about experiencing the joy of Jesus. And God can do that directly to people's hearts. But it's his plan that others would experience his joy through how we live. And if we're filled with his joy and it overflows by how we live, then they experience some of this joy too and may be more likely to look for the source of it because it's supposed to be a little bit different. So I summarize this part overflowing like this. Our joy is complete when it overflows from us to others and this happens by how we live and follow Jesus. So the first two weeks of Advent, we uh, talked about the, you know, Jesus brings hope. 
Jesus brings peace, but he wants to work through us so that we might be hope and peace to others. And so I encourage us to plant seeds of hope, seeds of peace through good deeds. Good deeds are inseparable from our walk with Jesus. They don't bring us to salvation, but Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says that we're saved by grace, so it's God's grace. We receive this through faith so that we can't boast about it. It's not because of our good works. It's not because I've been a better person than you, or God has some holy line, and I've gone up over that, and he's patting me on the back and giving me eternal salvation. No, it's all of his works, but he's done this with a purpose because he has good works for me to do. He works in me to work through me. And so while the first two weeks were about, you know, what we can do, seeds we can plant by deeds of hope, deeds of peace, joy is a little bit different. Joy is not about the what. Joy is about the how. How we go about living. How we live for Jesus in the world. It reminds me of uh, what uh, my pastor, Pastor Mark Bolander, who started this church, shared in premarital counseling in the office that I now get to to work in, uh, in premarital counseling. And he said, Jeremy, you have a choice. When you load the dishwasher, and you should load the dishwasher, all right? You can do it like this and load it and get the job done and you'll still have clean dishes. Or you can load it willingly and lovingly. And how you do that really is a reflection of your love for Stephanie and your love for Jesus. How we do something matters. Now there's a a lady by the name of Karen Kilby. And a number of years ago, she woke up on Christmas morning to a very different kind of a day. She woke up to the voice of a kind lady saying, Karen, it's time to wake up. And as she slowly realized where she was, this was the voice of one of the kind nurses who was helping her in the ICU. Several days previous, she had had a massive heart attack and she had been through quadruple bypass surgery and was now in the ICU. And so instead, on Christmas morning of hearing sleigh bells and Christmas carols and the giggles of grandchildren running throughout the house, she slowly came to the realization that the beeps and tones around her were the machines that have been helping her recover from surgery. And what this kind nurse bent down and whispered to her that morning was, Karen, I I just talked to the doctor, and they think maybe you might get your own private room today. Now, we might think nothing of that, But in ICU, locally as well as where she was, people could visit one at a time for 20 minutes at a time and only for a short window of time, meaning that Christmas she wouldn't have been able to see her family and her grandkids, only a few of them. And and so it was quite encouraging for her to hear that maybe she might get her own room where her whole family, her husband, Her kids and her grandkids could come visit. And sure enough, later that afternoon, she found herself delighted as her whole family came through the door, gifts in arms, smiles on their faces. They cried and laughed and hugged, sang carols, read the Christmas story, and spent good time together. Karen was overjoyed at the way her family ministered to her. She was overjoyed at the way that tender-hearted nurse had woken her gently in the morning and given her that good news, which might not have come true, but knew she needed. And just before her family 
packed up and went to their own Christmas dinner knowing, you know, Karen didn't want them to stay there all day, nor could they. Visiting hours were almost over. As they packed up and got ready to head out for turkey dinner, her, her daughter smiled and said, uh, Mom, I brought you your turkey dinner. And Karen knew exactly what she was talking about. Karen had been craving a chocolate shake for the whole week, the whole time she was in the hospital. She was on either IV or a strict diet, and they had gotten permission from a doctor for a particular chocolate shake. And so uh, her daughter gave her the chocolate shake, and she sipped that in and just thought how meaningful that was. What, what, what a simple thing. And after her family moved and they hugged and kissed goodbye and they prayed together, as she drifted off to sleep that evening, she thought about uh, two things. Two things that brought joy to her in that hospital room. The first was her Savior. She knew that she had experienced Jesus' salvation in her life more than just spiritual. She should have died. But through the blessing and grace of Jesus, working through the hands of doctors and the, the you know, speed of paramedics and all that had transpired to get her to that place, she was alive and thankful. So not only had she decided to follow Jesus early in her life, not only had she nurtured a close relationship with Jesus, she had seen him come through in her life in ways she didn't deserve and could never imagine. And she thought of all that and how thankful she was. And she was filled with joy. The second thing she thought about was linked to that, and it came because of her husband. And as she first started to come to in the ICU, and if you've ever been in an ICU, it's not a quiet place. It's not a private place, and it can be a place filled with a lot of anxiety and stress because you don't know what's going to happen. And as she started to, you know, regain consciousness and be aware of what had happened to her, she started to think about Christmas in a week's time. And she started to be overwhelmed and really sad at the thought that this thing she looked forward to with her and her family, her kids and her grandkids, was just... They're just not going to have it, and what would it be like, and how would she have Christmas if she was in here, and what would happen? And her husband knew exactly what was going on in her heart as she talked, and he, he drew her close, and he simply said, you know, we know that this isn't what Christmas is about. Christmas is something that Jesus has done in our hearts. It's about reflecting on what he has done in his coming and what he's done in our lives since. And whether we're in a hospital or at home, we can celebrate it the same way. Christmas is something we hold in our hearts. And when he said Christmas is something we hold in our hearts the whole year round, he didn't just mean in a Christmas carol kind of way. He meant literally because of Jesus, because of his advent, because of his arrival, you have Jesus in your heart. And your celebration of his coming can happen anywhere. Had it not been for his words, she might have allowed her mind to spin a little bit more. She might have had worry and concern, but instead she had peace, and she had hope, and she had joy, and as she drifted off to sleep, those were the thoughts she ended with on that Christmas day. I've been in a, uh, ICUs with various families as a pastor. I've been there as a, as a husband as Stephanie recovered from surgery. And my experience with families in difficult situations is that there's a spectrum of response. 
there are those like Karen's family who just seem to be able to focus on Jesus, be able to bring the person who's recovering in one another joy. The way they live seems to be more like Jesus. And then there's others who allow bitterness, complaint, anger, resentment to take root. And not only does it take root because the circumstance they're in is horrible, they begin to overflow that and pour that onto everyone else around them, whether it's doctors or nurses or family members, and a family who should be close, and a family who should focus on Christmas and joy and what Jesus has done, a family who could overlook one another's faults, a family who could pray together, a family who could focus on each part of the Christmas narrative and what God has done for them, instead chooses to turn on one another looks to their own needs and their own bitterness and self-focused, whatever it may be, and end up broken in, in a time when somebody needs some great care in a hospital. And I've seen both. And we all know as I'm speaking that one is much better than the other. And the determining factor is this. You overflow what you're filled with. And you can't always control in moments of crisis, in moments when there's like high emotion and you're not on your best behavior, what's going to come pouring out. So I encourage you to be filled to overflowing with the joy of Jesus. Be filled to overflowing with the joy of Jesus. Spend time with him this Christmas season. There's a week left and you might think maybe you haven't even read the Christmas story or haven't focused on him at all. God doesn't judge you. I don't judge you. He's, he's a God of grace. I encourage you, go often now. Spend quiet time with him. Read the Christmas narrative. Listen deeply to Christmas carols. Read stories and devotionals that will capture your heart and take them to the king so that you are full of his joy. To use the smoothie illustration, <laughs> go back for seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths till you can't hold it in. So that when you're doing whatever you're doing this Christmas, on your own or with other people, whether it's with family, friends, people in a store, maybe you're getting your hair cut, you're buying something, you're shoveling, probably not this year, with neighbors, whatever you're doing, that there's a different quality to what you're, what you're going through. So what is this joy then? If that's what joy is and that, that's what it means to overflow, what is this joy that we have? Let's, let's conclude today by, by bringing it all back to the Christmas narrative. Luke, 8, uh, Luke 2, 8 to 12 says this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but, so there's that, they were terrified, they could have had bad emotion, could have, that's their crisis emotional moment. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Jesus filled them up through the news of the angel. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in, this, uh, in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloths, lying in a manger. This was to be joy to all people. How was this joy to go to all people? Well, an angel didn't go to all people. 
an angel went to a group of shepherds. And what they got filled with, as soon as they met Jesus, it said they went throughout all Bethlehem. Anybody they saw, they told. They overflowed joy to everyone they saw. The people of the time were looking for something specific. They were waiting. And it was read this morning in our Advent reading. There's this prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about the Messiah. And one of these prophecies, Jesus says himself that he fulfilled. It's quite a wonderful thing. In John 4, sorry, in Luke 4, we read this. When he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read scripture. So Jesus was a regular habit of going to the synagogue on Sabbath, reading scripture. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. So he found this specifically. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor had come. He rolled up the scroll. So what you might not know is that's not the end of the prophecy. There was a lot more that people were accustomed to having read. They, many would have had memorized and they were waiting for him to read. Instead, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue were on him. You think? Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So Jesus said, what you've been waiting for, for the poor to be blessed, for uh, the playing field to be level, for all people to be able to come to God, for me to do something new in your land and in your hearts, it's going to happen through me. And at Christmas, that is our hope, that is our joy, that Jesus has come, he's lived, he's taught, he's died, he's risen, he's ascended, and he's waiting for the Father's cue to return and make all things right. And in the meantime, he works in us and he fills us with his joy so that we can share these same things about him to others. We share these same things about him to others. And one of the key ways we do that is in how we live. We can live with joy. One of the complaints uh, common views in the world about the church and people who follow Jesus is that we're hypocritical and we're judgmental and we're stuffy and we're unkind and we're selfish and it's a really good PR thing for us to have. It goes completely against who Jesus was and is and what he taught us not to only be filled with but how to live. We live with joy. We live with joy. And so I encourage you to spend time with Jesus, being filled. Pluro. Go back for seconds and thirds and fourths of him and his joy. Be filled up to here till you don't know what you're going to do so that in those moments, those moments you can't plan at the store and with your kids or with family or with friends, on the phone with someone, on a Zoom call, wherever you are and you have this moment where you have a choice of how to behave, of how you're going to live, you will choose joy. Be filled to overflowing with the joy of Jesus. So I decided to try this this past week. And uh, so when I run errands at Christmas time, I go about it in a man way. I know that's a broad, stereotypical brush, but absolutely. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm getting. 
I have a list. I've checked it twice. I don't care if it's naughty or nice. I'm going to get that thing. And I chart my way about the store, right? It's the, the, it's the, I see some heads of men nodding. Yes, you're doing the right thing, my friend, right? So that's what I do, right? And so that's the way I do my errands. But I decided I wanted to allow God to do something a little different in me. That I would be more patient, less focused. It's not that I'm a jerk when I go about it. I'm just focused. Like, I'm not focused so much on people and what's going on. I'm friendly, but I'm not necessarily joyful. And it really did change my demeanor. I found myself humming and people looking at me and and uh, getting into conversations with people. People were asking me for help. I'm not a store clerk or anything like that. It's just something about my demeanor meant I was maybe a little bit more approachable. I, I had it set in my heart that the people who helped me at the cash register, I made sure not to go to the self register and go, that I was going to try and make their day a little bit better and, and smile and joke and just at least for that, that moment. And I, I saw some people I knew and instead of just saying, hey, Merry Christmas, had a, had a good, deep, wonderful conversation and left going, man, that was, that was great. Boy, that took a lot longer. <laughs> but it was so, so much better and my hope and my prayer is that it was better for others too. It's the way we're supposed to be. And so I encourage you, you need to be filled with Jesus' joy. You can't do that in any other way than spending time with Jesus and having your heart focused him. Christmas services, Christmas carols, devotional stories, the things you speak about, where your mind and your heart is set. There's lots of ways you can do that to turn your heart towards Jesus, to be open to his filling. Here's the cool thing. You don't have to do anything to get filled by way of, you know, once you turn your heart towards Jesus, here's what he's really looking for in you. He just wants you to be open. He, he, he doesn't make you do it. He won't make you do it. Um, but, but as you come, he'll fill you. He'll fill you to plural, that your kara is plural. It's, you're, you're full. And to make your joy complete, he will allow your life to intersect with other people where you can overflow in ways you hadn't planned so that the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ is shared through you to others that they might look to the babe in the manger because your life is different. And they might too experience joy, not secondhand through you, but firsthand. Be filled to overflowing with the joy of Jesus. Would you stand as we pray? Jesus, thank you that you fill us with your joy. Thanks that um, following you doesn't need to be stuffy, religious, a list of to-do items and a checklist but that it's life and it's light and it's joy and it's hope and it's peace and it's love. So Father, I pray you'd help us, remind us to turn to you often, not just in this Christmas season, but beyond, but especially over the next week, that we might be filled with the joy, that our interactions at home in times when it could be or should be really frustrating and emotions run high. Instead, you give us patience and joy to respond and react differently in the same way that you are with your followers through persecution, trial, and difficulty, our trials and difficulties may pale in comparison to what others are going through. 
but they're still difficult. So we pray that we would be filled with the joy and that you would gift us that joy to go through those times this season where we could encounter some difficulties. I pray that our interactions and our church family with our neighbors, our friends, our family, the people we interact with in the community and the marketplace, Lord, that each one of those interactions, we would, we would be different, that you would be different through us and that we could look back and really see uh, the kind of joy you're growing and filling us with. And Father, above all, we pray that we would have hearts of joy tethered deeply in abiding and remaining in you, that you would bear fruit through us that we can't see happen in any other way. Lord, we can't simply choose to be joyful. That just wears off. But where you make our hearts joyful in you, you can bear fruit. You can overflow in ways we can't. We ask that we would be those people. Remind us often to come to you. Help us be filled with your spirit and with your joy. And may we overflow that to others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I invite you to uh, stack chairs if you're able. The kids aren't quite done. So we've got some coffee and tea. We didn't tell them. But if you'd like to stick around and visit, if you need to take your kids, go ahead and break their hearts and make them miss the end of the movie. But uh, by all means, stay and visit. Merry Christmas. Hope to see you Christmas Eve next week.